Good morning again. I just realized that's probably as close as I've ever come to having my name in lights, actually. <laughs> hey, I have an announcement that's very important to one of you. There is a red Ford F250 license plate YLK 9537. Your lights are on. Now, I know a lot of people here, they'll give you a jump afterwards. But if that's your truck, go out and get the lights. As I said earlier, uh, I'm always glad when I get here and there are people here. It's always good, so thank you. Some of you got here before I did this morning, and I was here early. Really, uh, it's a pleasure to be able to continue this series that we began last week at the movies. And uh, this week, as you saw, we're going to be looking at a movie called Inside Out, and we're going to be looking at that movie and a lot of scripture passages to see how, in several places, they line up. The movie can kind of teach us lessons that are scriptural. Sometimes it drifts away. We're going to point that out as well. We're going to look at a scene from this movie. Uh, The the movie is a, you know, used to be called a cartoon. We don't have cartoons anymore. You know, now they're animated features. You understand that, right? Only old people call them cartoons. I call them cartoons. But anyway... Riley, we meet her on the day she's born, and we kind of fast forward through her life till she's 11 years old, and that's when the majority of the film takes place. But really, the main characters are not Riley, they are the characters inside of Riley's head, and they represent several different emotions. So this clip is going to kind of show you how the emotions in Riley interact to help her navigate the real world. So let's take a look. Just Riley and me, forever. For 33 seconds. I'm sadness. Oh, hello. I'm joy, so. Can I just, if you could, I just want to fix that, (laughs) thanks. And that was just the beginning. Headquarters only got more crowded from there. Very nice. Okay, looks like you got this. Very good. Oh, that's right, Perry. Oh, look out! That's fear. He's really good at keeping Riley safe. Easy, easy, huh? Hi, back! Oh, we're good. We're good. Thank you. Thank you very much. And we're back. Here we go. All right, open. Hmm, this looks new. Think it's safe? What is it? Okay, caution. There is a dangerous smell, people. Hold on, what is that? This is disgust. She basically keeps Riley from being poisoned, physically and socially. That is not brightly colored or shaped like a dinosaur. Hold on, guys. It's broccoli! Yes! Well, 
saved our lives. Ooh. Yeah, you're welcome. Riley, if you don't eat your dinner, you're not gonna get any dessert. Wait, did he just say we couldn't have dessert? That's anger. He cares very deeply about things being fair. So that's how you want to play it, old man? No dessert? Oh, sure. We'll eat our dinner right after you eat this. Ah! Right, right. Here comes an airplane. Ah! Oh, airplane. We got an airplane, everybody. <gasps> And you've met Sadness. She? Well, she... I'm not actually sure what she does. And I've checked, there's no place for her to go, so... She's good, we're good, it's all great. Anyway, these are Riley's memories, and they're mostly happy, you'll notice, not to brag. There's the beginning. I would recommend you watching the movie. Whether you have kids or not, you don't have to tell anybody. So one thing that kind of already shows up there, it's, 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 a, it's a critical piece of the movie, those characters that represent her emotions, their goal really is to keep Riley happy. They want her to be happy all the time. And quite frankly, for an 11-year-old girl, it's not a bad goal. Not a bad goal for an 11-year-old boy either. But as you already saw, Riley isn't always happy, is she? That's a truth that, that is very clearly illustrated in the movie. Stuff happens. Things happen. There's hardship in life. And certainly, that is a scriptural principle as well. We know that throughout scripture, there's examples of the fact that there's going to be hardship. There's going to be trials, they're often called in scripture. We're not always happy. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 9, and 10. It says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. It says, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. We certainly can read the book of Psalms and see that things don't always go as planned. There are hardships and uncertainties and unexpected things that happen in life. We're not always happy and carefree. In fact, if you have sermon notes, and you do have them, whether you know them or not, if you have a bulletin, the very first line in there is our first sort of truth, if you will, and it just says, life will have challenges. In the movie, Riley has to, she moves away from friends. She has a really tough day, the first day of school. She uh, doesn't score a winning goal when she has a chance. There's, there's challenges. And certainly, again, Scripture is very clear that there are going to be hardships and trials in life. What's interesting is, I don't know about you, but sometimes, in fact, often when I have a trial, my desire is to get out of the trial, right, to, to get rid of the unpleasantry. But, but God really has a different focus. And scripture has a different focus. We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. Certainly, we know that since there are problems in life, right, since there is hardship, we are going to feel a wide range of emotion. You saw some uh, emotion that, that Riley, uh, I called her Wiley like 12 times so in, in talking about this movie, that Riley had, right? There's anger, there's disgust. We have a lot of emotions that we feel. And that's a good thing. We're designed to feel a full range of emotion. Scripture makes that very, very clear. Ecclesiastes says there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to love and a time to hate. There are literally hundreds and hundreds of verses in Scripture that talk about feeling emotion. It shows people expressing emotion. I put a few of those, just a few of those in your sermon notes. Romans 12 there says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Ephesians 4 says, be angry 
and do not sin. And then John eleven thirty five records Jesus crying. It says Jesus wept because he lost a close friend in Lazarus. The other verses there in your sermon notes talk about anxiety and being brokenhearted and also being happy. As we walk through life, stuff is going to happen. And we're going to feel a lot of emotions. That's a good thing. We're designed to feel those emotions and express those emotions properly. One distinction between the movie and what Scripture talks about is the source from which we can find joy or happiness. As I said, they want her to be happy all the time. So, so they do lots of things to, to try to make that happen. So if she's having a bad day, they put a song in her head or they, they bring a memory to her mind, or they, there's an imaginary friend that, uh, when she's smaller, it keeps her happy a lot of the times. But Scripture kind of paints a little bit of a different picture, really. It shows that lasting, enduring joy doesn't come from within us, doesn't come from our memories, it doesn't even come from the relationships with other people. Those things certainly bring joy and bring happiness, and they're good things, but the type of joy and happiness that they bring is, it's a transient happiness, right? It comes and it goes. But in your sermon notes, true enduring joy can only be found through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Only as we realize what he has done for us on the cross and we accept the work for us that he's done. And only as we really begin to understand what that means for our future in heaven with him for all eternity. As we understand those things, then we can have true, enduring, literally eternal joy. Jesus is the source of that joy. In John 15, 11, Jesus is talking and he says this, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. In the midst of the stuff of life, we can rely on Jesus to be our source of joy. John 16, again, Jesus speaking, he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Again, we're reminded that we're going to have trouble in this world. Jesus says that. We know it's true. But he says, I've overcome the world. And, and what he's saying there is no matter the amount of trouble there is in the world, no matter the amount of trouble there might be in your life, it will not erase the fact that Jesus Christ has paid the ultimate price so that we can experience ultimate peace and ultimate joy. That's something to praise him about for sure. I want to turn our attention back to the movie for a moment. And as you noticed, hopefully in the first scene, there are these little balls that come out, these glass globes. Those are her memories. They're different color based on whether they're happy, sad, angry, whatever they might be. And you saw, you may have noticed that joy can sort of uh, go forward or backward by looking at those memories. She can swipe her hand, goes forward, goes backwards a little bit. So in this scene that we're going to look at, Joy kind of makes an important discovery. She, she recognizes something important, and I want us to discover it with her. So let's take a look. the big playoff game. Riley missed the winning shot. She felt awful. 
have to get back up there. The discovery was when Riley was sad, people came to help. Right? If you notice that globe turned blue when she was sad, it turns gold when she's happy. There's several things that we can look at from the scene. I, I want to pick up two of them. And they're, again, they're in your sermon notes. As we walk through a trial, we can gain proper perspective. Proper perspective. That just simply means seeing things the right way, the correct way. You see, in the movie, Riley's sad because she didn't score the winning goal when she had the opportunity. And, and what she comes to understand, really, is not scoring that goal wasn't that important. What's really important is she has parents and friends that care about her. She has good relationships. You know, in, in, in the Bible, again, as I mentioned, trials have a bit of a different meaning, different purpose. Certainly they're unpleasant. They're, it, often a trial is not something we want to be in. We want, we, don't, we want to get rid of it as quickly as we can. But what scripture teaches is those trials and those hardships in our lives, they often bring about long-term benefit for us and often for others as well. Certainly they bring about growth and maturity. Probably the, the, the most well-known verses, right, about trials. Uh, many of you that have been here for a while, kind of know the verses I'm going to read. They're in, found in the book of James, right? Chapter 1. But if you've never heard these verses before, I'm going to read the first one and I'm going to stop. And if you've read them a hundred times, I want us to pause for just a moment after verse 2. It says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, if you just stop there, be like, why would I consider it joy when I, I get to face all this hardship? And James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he knows we're going to ask that question. And so he answers it right away with the first word in verse 3. He says, because. Why would I consider it joy? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. As we go through these trials, it brings about growth and maturity in our lives. You know, I've been reading in my devotions uh, through the book of Acts. In fact, I had a couple of you, or sorry, I had all of you, if you get phone tree, read a couple of chapters in the book of Acts. And, and the reason is just to remind you, as I've been reminded, all the stuff that Paul went through in his life, all the hardships. I mean, he was shipwrecked several times. He was beaten several times, not just by one or two people, but by crowds of people. He was pelted with stones. He was put in prison numerous times. He was in chains. I think he might have been in chains more than he wasn't in chains during the, the book of Acts. It's amazing what he went through. And yet, while he's a prisoner, he writes this, this letter to the church in Philippi. So it's in the, now the book of Philippians. And this is what he says in verse 12 of chapter 1. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Paul had gained the proper perspective. 
he understood that what he was going through really wasn't what was important. He understood that, and he actually talks about it elsewhere, that those trials and hardships brought about great maturity in his life and growth in his life and benefit long-term in his life, but they also benefited many others. He understood that because of the hardships that he had gone through, the gospel had gone forth and people had accepted Christ because of what he had been through. And for him, that made the trial something that he could be joyful about. The next lesson in your sermon notes, again, still sticking with this scene from this movie, is trials in the lives of others are an opportunity for us to come alongside a person and be God's instruments. Remember, Riley's there sitting in the tree and her parents just come and they just sit with her. They're just present with her. They're, they're in the midst, they come alongside her in the midst of her sadness. And then, and then her teammates come along as well. And they get their fo- her focus away from the fact that she missed a goal and they really focus on who she is and how well she's done and how well the team's done. And so Riley forgets about that goal being missed. In scripture, the real issue for someone who's going through this hardship and difficulty is understanding their value in God's eyes. When someone's in the midst of difficulties and hardships and trials, we need to come alongside them and support them. And part of that coming alongside them is reminding them at the right time and the right place how valuable they are to God, that God loves them, and that he is walking with them through the trial and the hardship. Really, the idea is when someone is going through this hardship, we can be a conduit of God's grace, of God's mercy, of God's love, of God's peace, and yes, of God's joy. We can be that conduit for them. Remember, the source of our joy is Jesus. Only as we really have a relationship with him can we have enduring, everlasting joy. And then we can be conduits of that joy and love and mercy to others. I need to tell you that in order to do that, we need to take our focus off ourselves, though. And we need to look out and look for people who need us to come alongside them. And and the truth is, that's not always easy to do because we've just been talking about there's always stuff in our lives, isn't there? There's always stuff I wish wasn't there. There's always hardship. There's always some level of trial. And so it's easy to just look inward and look and be focused inside. And and I want to say that's okay at times. It's healthy at times, but it's not healthy all the time. We need to be looking out so that we can be conduits of God's grace in the lives of other people. There's a, a short book in the New Testament called Philemon. Paul writes a letter to a man named Philemon, and in that, he, he talks about the fact that Philemon has come alongside so many people in his church, and he's been an encouragement to them. He's been a conduit of grace and mercy and love to them. And in, in the process of encouraging so many, he's actually been an encouragement to Paul. Let's read verse 7 of Philemon, the first chapter. It says, your love has given me great joy and encouragement, Paul is saying to Philemon, because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Philemon has done that well, been an encouragement to people in his church, and he's been an encouragement to Paul as well. So in your sermon notes is a question, pretty simple, straightforward question. simply says this, who is God calling me to come alongside? Is there a person 
Maybe God right now is speaking a name to you. This is who I need to come alongside. If so, I'd encourage you to write it down. Who is it that God is calling you to come alongside and support? Often, we don't need to say anything profound. We don't have to do anything specific. If you paid attention to that scene, Riley's parents don't say a word, do they? They just come up and sit with her. Sometimes we don't have to say a word. We just need to be present with that person. In their time of sadness, in their time of hardship. Sometimes we can't be physically present, I understand that, but we can send a card, we can send a text, we can make a phone call. I don't know what God might be calling you to do or with whom, but I'd encourage you to be a conduit of his grace and love and mercy and joy into someone else's life. I know, because I've had conversations with uh, several of you over the years, that it may be that God's placing someone in your mind, hey, I know who I should visit, I, I know who I should go see, who I should come alongside, but I don't know how. I don't know what to do. And so often, when we don't know what to do, what do we do? Nothing. That's the wrong choice. Doing something is better than doing nothing. Here's a verse I want to share with you, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and I wish I'd put this in your sermon notes, but I didn't, so write the reference down. And be reminded of it when you get home. It says this, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And I read that as an encouragement to say, pick up the phone, or knock on the door, or start writing the text, and trust God to show you if you need to say anything, if you need to do anything. Just knocking on the door and saying, I just want you to know I don't want to take any of your time. I just want you to know I'm sorry for what you're going through and I'm praying for you. That might be it. Maybe that's the text you send. I want to encourage you to step out in faith and be a conduit to those who are experiencing hardship, who need God's joy and peace in their life. We've got one more scene that I want us to, to look at. Riley is, uh, her family moves to California. She's so unhappy with that that she decides she's going to run away to go back to Minnesota. Uh, don't worry, parents, she doesn't get very far. She gets on a bus, but then she gets off. And the scene we're about to see, her parents are just realizing she didn't go to school and they don't know where she is and they're quite worried, but she walks in the door and she has an incredibly important conversation with her parents that I want us to look at. And also at the same time, that character Joy she realizes that these happy memories that are gold, they need to become, and they are becoming, sad memories. Because really, Riley is grieving the loss of things in her life that are important to her. So let's take a look at this. Riley! Thank oh, goodness. we were worried sick. Where have you been? It's so late. Uh.
I miss Minnesota. You need me to be happy, but I want my old friends and my hockey team. I want to go home. Please don't be mad. I miss Minnesota, too. I miss the woods where we took hikes. And the backyard where you used to play. Spring Lake, where you learned to skate. Come here. Anybody need Kleenex? Sorry. There's about 10 lessons we can draw from this. Yes, I know the time. We're not going to go through all 10. But I, I want to talk about two things from this scene and then one from specifically from Scripture. Again, these are in your sermon notes. The first thing it says there in your sermon notes is, we may not let others see how we are feeling because we are afraid of what they might think. And I want you to know that all of us at times struggle with our thoughts and, and with our emotions. It's normal. And, and, and we don't have to pretend that everything's okay when it's not okay. That's what I want you to hear. In fact, what I want you to hear me say is, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. Riley was trying to not let her parents know she wasn't okay. But it's okay to not be okay. We need people who accept us and accept our emotions, accept us just the way we are. Now, they also need to, we need people who can speak into our lives, though, to help us live according to God's word. Another truth that's closely tied to that one is in your sermon notes. It says, we find joy and contentment when we're in the company of people who know us and accept us just the way we are. If you don't have people in your life that you can be real with, authentic with, I want to encourage you to look for them. You might want to try to look for them in a, in a small group here, in a class that's being taught. There's one 1045. If you don't have those people, you can go to that class and look for them. You have my permission. Keith won't mind. He's teaching it. If you want someone and you just don't know where to turn, talk to me or one of the pastors. Maybe we can connect you with a mentor that you can meet with once a month or, or so. Someone that you can be real with. You know, we want to be a place where you can be real. We want to be a, a people that are authentic and open, a safe community. That doesn't mean we share everything all the time, any way we want with everyone, but it does mean we have an opportunity to be real with people. We need, we've been designed to feel those emotions and express those emotions. So once again, you want to find people who accept you just the way you are, but... That doesn't mean they're going to let you keep making bad choices 
and, and, and unhealthy choices and sinful choices and bad decisions, it means they're going to speak with love, they're going to speak truth into your life so that you can become the person God is calling you to be. And then the last thing that I want to mention, it's in your sermon notes from Scripture, is this. You can be open and honest with God about how you feel. I've talked to so many people who, we, we just have this feeling at times, we, we, we have this understanding that if I'm truthful, if I really express how I'm feeling to God, maybe, just maybe, I won't be acceptable to him. It'll change how he views me. Maybe he really won't love me if he really knows how I feel. And I just want you to know that Scripture paints the exact opposite picture. It paints a picture that we can be brutally honest with God and he loves us and cares for us. Let me read a couple of passages to you. The first one is written by David, Psalm 38. The very first verse says this, uh, sorry, verse 9 says this, All my longings lie open before you, Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. David's basically saying, you already know how I feel. I can't hide anything from you anyway. But what I love is David goes ahead and expresses how he feels. He says, my heart pounds, my strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. And then listen to Job 3.11. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Those are deep emotional words. That's someone expressing pain and anguish, despair, depression. And then further on in Job, that same chapter, he says, I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. But does this sound like we cannot express our emotions to God or to others? Scripture is very clear. We can be honest and open with him. These verses were written by men who loved God and, and whom God loved. In fact, David, many of you know this, he, he wrote so many psalms where he expressed anger and frustration and despair, sometimes frustration with himself, sometimes frustration and anger at God, and yet he's described as a man after God's own heart. The message of Scripture is clear that even as we're incredibly honest with God, it doesn't change his view of us. Here's some news for you that I hope many of you already know. But there may be someone here that doesn't. God loves you just the way you are, in spite of your sin. He loves me in spite of my sin. That's the truth of Scripture. If, if you have a relationship with, with Jesus Christ, if you've accepted him as Savior, Scripture says you're a son and a daughter of God. Expressing your emotions to him doesn't change that. You're still a son and a daughter that he loves. If you've not yet come to that place in your life where you've accepted him as Savior, accepted the work that he's done on the cross, what Scripture says is he desires a relationship with you. He provided, through his grace, an opportunity for you to have that relationship. And so he pursues you. He wants that. And, and expressing emotion to him isn't going to change that. Jesus is the ultimate safe person. You never have to pretend with him, ever. That's what I want you to know this morning. Actually, I want you to remember several things. I want you to remember that, right, that we can go to Jesus and be completely honest and open. We never have to pretend. The second thing I want to challenge you with is to find people that you can be open and honest with in your life if you don't already have them. And again, I would start looking for them here if you don't already have them. 
And then the last thing, remember, is to look out and look for opportunities to be conduits of God's grace and mercy and love into the lives of other people who are going through hardship. Maybe you've gone through something similar and you can share with them how God met you in that time of need. Those are my challenges to you this morning. Let me pray for you. Lord, we just come to you and we we thank you for your word. We thank you that because of the godly and timeless principles that are there, often the things we see in the movies and in the world, sometimes they line up with your word. We thank you for that. I pray for my friends here this morning that you would speak to their hearts and remind them they can be honest and open with you always. And Lord, I pray that if they don't already have them, you would provide people that can be safe, who accept them the way they are, but encourage them to live the life you're calling them to live. And I pray that you'd give all of us the opportunity and the ability to see people who need us to come alongside them. Give us the boldness, give us the faith to do that. Lord, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for being here this morning. Enjoy the great afternoon. See you next week.